Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predator podcast. I'm regular host Aaron Percival, or you might know me better as Corporal Hicks. And I am usual co-host Adam Zeller, or you might know me on the forums as Ridgetop. And we're joined by a special community guest today. If you read Xenopedia, you'll recognise some of his editing work on there. His um, co-editor-in-chief? Co-administrator. Co-administrator. And if you uh, frequent our uh, forums, our message boards, you'll recognise him as who the fuck. Although he seems to shun our our Facebook group. I've noticed this. Yeah, never participate on Facebook. So it's in Wayland Utani, and I'm like, what, what, what have I done to... Uh... There are obviously, there must be better Facebook groups out there. There are. They're... <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. Oh. <laughs> I'm always liking your posts in there. Plenty of uh, good Facebook groups. But yeah, so um, this is Who the Fuck, a.k.a. Lee Byrne. Thank you for joining us again today. Well, thank you for having me. And because Lee's here, you obviously know that this is going to be an expanded unit. Well, okay. If you frequently listen to the podcast, or in this case, watch, you'll know that Lee's presence means we're going to be talking a book. And this time we are talking Alien Prototype. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, we have we are trying to do webcam videos as well. So I, re- I really found it a little awkward doing it last time because I was dead conscious of myself being on camera when I did the interview with Scott. So the videos, I'm not going to be able to edit as anally as I do the podcast, uh, the audio version. So it may be a little bit awkward at times. We'll see. But (laughs) Mr. Ridgetop wanted to do these things and I agreed that it was more interesting than looking at a picture all the time. Now you can see our beautiful faces. Look look at this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, there's these two other, you know, handsome gentlemen to um, give you visual pleasure as well as auditory pleasure. <laughs> you like that one? Make of that what you will. <laughs> hey, I'm proud of my handsome features. So yeah, we are, we are talking Alien Prototype for this one. And it is written by Mr. Tim Wagner. It is not the latest novel that, that honour falls to Aliens Phalanx, but we will get to that one in, what do you reckon we should talk about, three years? Is that, is that enough time? <laughs> Shut up. I will read it. <laughs> I will read it soon. I'm actually interested in it, given how much praise you you gave it. Prototype came out end of October yes, of last, last year. year, and you posted your review December 2nd. So, yeah, I, I just barely, finally, I know, got around to reading it. And, um, yeah, we'll we'll get into it. Well, well what, do you, what do you think? What do you, short, short story, what do you think before we break it down? I honestly uh, agree with your review. I mean, you gave it a 7 out of 10. I think it was it was decent. I do think there were quite a few secondary characters and it didn't really there were just so many of them to juggle that it didn't have too much development. I thought, especially with Zula's uh, team of trainees that she was leading. She had like, what, eight of them? I think they were a little bit more than that. Might have been a dozen or something. Yeah. So there was a bit too much to, to juggle there, but. This is very much a continuation of Defiance and an intermediary story between that and Resistance. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as as that, I thought it was pretty good. At the same time, I do think the novels are a bit stronger when they're their own self-contained stories. I think some some of the interweaving stuff 
that they're doing now with the franchise in the expanded universe, sometimes it's a bit much, in my opinion. And some of my favorite Alien books have been the ones that are self-contained. Now, that's not to say you can't have nods to comics and other stories, but when you just have something like this that feels like a middle story between comics, you know, not everyone who reads the novels is going to be interested in the comics and vice versa. Lane, for example, right here. Yeah, yeah hard, big, big comic reader. Hardcore fans like us uh, will, will want to read both. And yes, Lee, you're a hardcore fan yourself. But we all have uh, we all have our preferences in terms of the type of media we want to consume in the Alien franchise. So when you have two different types that are direct continuations of the other with with novels and comics, I mean, it's it's really cool when you can have a novel adaptation of the comic because that'll expand the story a bit. But when you have one that's like a next chapter of a comic and there was never a comic version of prototype that came out. I just wonder if it would have been stronger as as a more contained story, personally. Are you not a fan of the transmedia sort of stuff that's going on these days, then? I did think specifically the Amanda Ripley stuff, as I was worried about after Blackout, it did get a little uh, silly. But this wasn't, I mean, Amanda wasn't really in this, hardly at all. And I think Zula is a strong character. And so I feel like this is before that it, it had gotten to that point. And again, I think it's good to have nods to each other. And this, for someone who reads the novels and comics like we do, Aaron, it is interesting. I just feel like for a lot of novel readers, they might be a little lost, personally. Okay, well, I guess that's actually going to be a pretty decent question for Lee, because I don't... Did you read Defiance? I know you don't tend to read... I did, yeah. You haven't read Resistance or Rescue? No, no, I read read Defiance. I wasn't massively keen on it, so in a way I was a little bit disappointed when the book was announced as a sequel to it because i thought defiance i thought the first half of it was really good mm-hmm. and then it just kind of really i don't want to say bombed because that makes it sound like it was terrible but it, it noticeably dropped it off. kind of fizzled fizzled out a bit. yeah yeah and the the story kind of wound up being so much of nothing and so i was a bit disappointed that the book was a sequel to that but as for whether you would be lost having not read the comic i'm afraid i can't say because i did Mm, okay well yeah that's fair i don't know if you'd be lost but you might be like you appreciate it more when you when you've got that that background already there you probably wonder who the hell davis was because i don't remember him getting that much of a duction it explains it when she's on about the little um google home thing next oh doesn't it okay yeah but i suppose you know adam and i know how this ties into Zula's story sort of going forwards. Yeah. You don't, but actually that'd be something, that'd be a specific to talk about later. Yeah, read Resistance and Rescue and get back <laughs> no, to us. No, we, we, we don't <laughs> we don't recommend that at all. Well, Resistance was, Resistance was okay. Resistance was okay. Rescue we don't recommend. Rescue is trash. Rescue is the AVPR of the current comics. Yeah. Lee, though, uh, short sort of summary then, uh, short review of how you felt about Prototype. I enjoyed it. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as either of you two did. I found it sort of kind of middling. I'd really liked that it felt like the old Bantam books in tone. It did, like, yeah. Yeah, it, that, that was a, a welcome thing to have back. It kind of had that fast-paced fun, sort of not over the top, but sort of larger-than-life feel to it. But I, I agree with what Adam says. There was a lot of sort of characters in it who didn't really come to anything i mean the administrator was set up with this whole chapter introducing her and then she just gets killed in a really offhand way which i I guess was maybe trying to be 
a twist or a shock, but it didn't really pull it off in the way I think it was trying to. But it was it was an entertaining. You know, it certainly wasn't a bad book. I was entertained by it. The finale was really good. I'm sure we'll probably get to that later. But I'd say probably a six out of ten for me. You know, it was entertaining enough, but it was it didn't blow me away. So you're just a, a scooch lower than than Ridgetop and I would would go for. Yeah. So I've read it twice. Um, first for the original review, and once again for the, this this episode. Although I think mainly, pretty much, nearly forgot everything that happened in the book with the amount of times we rescheduled this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, things have been a little wild lately. Hopefully, they won't be any more wild by the time this goes live. But just just to kind of touch on that note, I'm only playing. I'm only playing. <laughs> I, I know. I'm just saying this is kind of a segue into this that I thought we should at least mention. You know, we're probably going to be using this fandom as a way of uh, escapism and keeping ourselves sane right now more than usual. So um, we'll be trying to get as much content up as we can in terms of keeping these podcasts consistent going forward in our, our YouTube channel. So uh, we just want to, you know. I guess tell all, all our listeners to keep it together and hang in there like like we are trying to do right now because these are these are strange times. Certainly, don't go don't go sticking faces in any strange eggs. Don't go sniffing <laughs> or touching any weird black goo. And if you've got protective gear on, keep it on. Don't take it off just because your little computer thingy on your wrist says it's breathable. Yeah. <laughs> and don't trust David when he tells you to. Yeah, don't don't, don't trust any Aryan guys uh, modeling themselves over Peter Peter O'Toole. Yes. I've never seen it. I keep meaning to watch... Um, what, Lawrence of Arabia? Yeah, I keep meaning to That's watch it. That's a classic. It, I was never really... I've, I've never seen films. it either. I, mean, I wouldn't say I love it, but it, you know, I've seen it. It's on the list of you know semi-related films to, <laughs> to, to watch. Um, I keep meaning to rewatch Outland, actually. I'm really in, the, really in the mood for it. I haven't seen it either. Yeah, we, we, we do should do an episode on that. Speak, speaking related. of... Uh, isolation i hear there's like more companies now where you can set up like a move online movie watching party or something so that's something maybe we should do with outland that might be fun yeah yeah okay i saw i saw some links about it but i didn't watch anything anyway yes so my thoughts didn't change between readings i still think it was you know lee said it was middle of the ground at six i tend to think of I don't know um, where I place this one, seven, you know, just not middle of the ground, but solid. Yeah, like decent. That's yeah. what I would call it. C, kind of C, if we were doing it in in grade style, I think. And, and most of the recent stuff has been around that level for me. It has been solid seven out of tens with just a, a small few that have really, really stood out. And well, when we get to phalanx, you know, or phalanx. Phalanx. Phalanx, I think. When we get to that, that that is a standout book. And I'm really looking forward to talking about that one as well. But not to knock on this one at all, because I did really enjoy it. It did a lot of things that... I say a lot of things. It did things that I really like, you know, in terms of with the alien. It treated it differently to normal. Although I will, I will note it, mention something else that I only just realised it's, it's similar to later. You know, it, it reintroduced Egg Morphin which I'm always happy to say. So, okay, I was actually going to bring this up later, but since you brought it up now, I noticed in the Xenopedia art article you mentioned egg morphing, but yeah. 
I was like, wait, did that really happen? I, I don't remember that. So I went back to the uh, the spot and maybe I missed it, but it didn't seem to specify egg morphing. It was the uh, in this one, it's called a necromorph. It just said it produced an egg and it was like this could be faster if one of the eggs happened to be a queen, but it didn't really get into the egg morphing. It was very specifically egg morphing. Really? Yeah. Tim Tim even confirmed it when we chatted to him. Oh, I guess I missed that bit. Well, how else does it produce an egg? I don't know. It just said it cocooned someone to the wall, but it, I thought because it said it, it opened their mouth for the face hugger and then it said it produced an egg. I don't think it literally said. No, it doesn't it say egg, 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 but egg I, morph. I, I the implications. But did it, yeah, did it say like it injected someone with? No, it says it turns them into one. Oh. Huh. And like I say, I, I spoke to Tim. It it wasn't a podcast interview. It was, it was just a text-based interview. And I pointed out that he'd, you know, he'd reintroduced egg morphing in this, which was not something that tended to be done. Has anything really done it outside of the director's court? No, as as far as I can tell, the only time it's ever shown up is in a couple of the old sort of AVP beat-em-up games. Mm. And I think, was the Jaguar an egg morph or was that cocooning people? No, it was cocooning. You're talking about the Capcom side-scrolling arcade, Poss- right, Lee? Possibly, yeah. Because I remember in that I mean, one... I've, no, I've never played it, but that's the only thing I've ever come across it being discussed as being in. Uh, it's been so long since I've played that too. But yeah, I mean, as far as Tim's concerned, you know, you know the author's concerned, it, it was egg morphing. That, okay. that was the implication. But did it explicitly say that in the book? No. Or is it just kind of but I definitely think it was, it was... It was obvious enough, wasn't from, it? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I must have flew past me then. But yeah, that was one of the things I really liked. You know, I enjoy it when the books bring in elements that aren't used quite so often because it, it makes it it's kind of like a little special treat, especially since I really like the egg morphing angle from the director's cut. So that, you know, that that perked it up for me. I do have I do have issues with the book and mainly it's as you guys have said, you know, the development of the secondary characters. I think in my review, I specifically called out the same thing that you did, Lee, with Alita Fuentes, the um, CEO, having this big chapter introduction, you know, setting her up to be pretty noticeable antagonist in the book, and then she's barely in it. Doctor Gag Gag Gagnon, Gagnon, I think, Gagnon, maybe the the mad scientist. He was very much a mad scientist. Mm. Like he was very She even calls him that that administrator calls him a ghoul at one point (laughs) and it it almost became a little comical just how lacking of empathy he was but yeah he was he was fun i found him a little a little dull he was for me a lot like kleist and i know lee you love rogue um, whereas (laughs) i prefer labyrinth and church but i found him a lot like kleist in that i didn't think he had an interesting enough background in his interest towards the alien and the secondary characters for zula's team Oh, there's there's no point in a lot of them. They there's one I say no point. I mean there's obviously points in terms of body counts and that's and cannon fodder, yeah. Yeah. That's the point. They were they were a bit stuck. Mm-hmm. Like, there was nothing memorable about them. And I think there was probably only one memorable one, which was and now I can't even remember this bloody name. <laughs> um the the one the one who set up as is the antagonist in the group to start with. Mm programs that was it renato no i'm feeling like ray but ray's the transgender one i think because i know there's one where it kind of goes into his relationship with his with his wife and they live it it talks about their marriage and stuff so he got a little bit of character development but yeah most of them that was the colonist guy testing out the yes yes. colony test site that was the couple living there oh i see see the, the characters just weren't weren't memorable enough 
in this one. Ronnie. Ronnie was the guy. I'm That's thinking right. Of. But, you know, I... To be fair, I struggle with names anyway sometimes. But I I, rem- I clearly remember him as, you know, the antagonist who turned into the second-in-command kind of thing. And I think he was probably the most significant one of those guys. So I do think a lot of the secondary characters needed a fair bit more work to really, um, you know, really stand out more. And that was pretty much my main problem with the book. So I, I still stick by my original review. I still stick by my 7 out of 10. Do have issues with it. You know, even the egg morphing stuff, there's some inconsistencies, but we can we can break that down more later. So a, a little summary then of, of the events of the book. I won't go into a blow-by-blow blow or anything, but just so... If you're listening to this and you haven't read it or you need a, a, a reminder just so you've got some of the more salient points of the of the novel. And obviously this is going to be a spoilery episode because, well, we're talking in detail about it. So it opens with a corporate spy who you don't know at the time. And uh, I can't even remember her name. Tamar. Tamar, yes. Tamar Prather. And um, she's on a on a Wayland vessel, and you find out that she's part of like a little pirate group that's been out there um, preying on on the private lanes and the shipping lanes and stuff like that. And she's a corporate spy for a company called Venture, who are I never want to say competitors to Wayland because it feels like nobody can be a genuine competitor to Wayland. But, you know, she's there for one of the other corporations and she's specifically looking for stuff related to the alien. And the way they set it up in this one is that all the other companies basically know that um, Wayland's after these mysterious creatures. Nobody's fully sure of the who and the what and the why, but they know that they're interested in them. Yeah, there's widespread corporate rumors about it. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the world that was set up in the um, the anniversary shorts, you know, where the aliens are becoming a bit more widespread across different colonies in the galaxy. That's like a lot of the old EU, though, as well, because they were well, they were everywhere in the old comics and by extension, the old Bantam books. But I liked that it was it was restrained to the point of being just rumors, though, just corporate rumors. And Prather Tamar has finally hit the jackpot and and found a ship that was trying to smuggle an egg. Stuff happens, she gets off, she takes it back to the colony that the book's actually set on, which is Jericho 6, I think it was. 3, I think. Jericho 3? Yeah, Jericho 3, sorry. And it's a venture facility. It's, it's mainly there to test colonizing equipment, basically. But there's also like a, as well as like this test colony, they have a facility for R&D of related technologies, but other stuff as well, including bioscience stuff and virus stuff <laughs> applicable right now. You know, looking for cures for the kind of things that they find out there out in the wilds of space, unknown space. So the eggs delivered to the book's mad scientist, which we previously mentioned was uh, Dr. Gagnum. And he's got a synthetic assistant who actually we didn't talk about her, but we will have to later on when we go into more detail. I quite liked her, actually. Yeah. And basically they they don't know exactly what the alien is again, because it's all been just been rumors. But this doctor has to figure it out. He realizes you know the the parasitic nature of the life cycle and he <laughs> i did like how they um did it all as a experiment that somebody volunteered for <laughs> yeah it was actually kind of funny because they even mentioned oh we could use a large animal but that would take a week or two and we don't want to wait yeah <laughs> that's like really going with the evil corporate culture here so 
this particular guy that they find, you know, he's volunteered for the doctor before. He's he's been a um, a test guinea subject, pig. guinea pig, yes, and been infected with. It's kind of it's generic in in naming anyway, because it's cellular um, necrosis. Cell, cellular necrosis, yeah. Pretty, pretty generic term, I think, which is is an important element of the book because the resulting alien that comes out is infected with the same cellular necrosis, and it means the alien himself is covered in these pustules that, when they pop, they spread the the necrosis, and it can cough. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's actually quite topical this one, really, isn't it? <laughs> It, it can it can cough and, and spread the virus that way, but emits a black cloud. So this alien naturally escapes and goes around causing chaos, not just through claws and stabby tails and impaling mouth, but also with spreading the disease, because it's also by touch as well. But luckily enough for Venture, this happens to be the colony that Zula Hendrix is working in. Because having following up the end of Defiance, she needs a job to go and uh, save up money so she can go on a crusade against the aliens again. And she's there training up the Colony Protection Force, who are going to be Ventures Colony Police, basically. Well, I suppose militia would be better a better term. And she realizes what they're facing and organizes all her Marines to um, not Marines, sorry, all her um, Colony Force to go out there and try and hunt them. And at the same time, the Doctor's lab assistant, the synthetic, and Tamar are also out there trying to trying to recapture it so they can keep doing more experiments on it. And everything goes to shit, basically. I don't I don't want to blow by blow it any more than that. Yeah, that'll do. That'll do. Everything goes to shit, yes. basically. <laughs> Wait, we'll t- we'll talk about some of the more specific elements later, especially like the end sequence, the 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 solution. Where should we start? I want, to, I want to know how you feel about it as a sequel to Defiance. You know, looking at it from Zula's perspective, did you like her sort of development in this book and, and her characterization? You know, did she match up to Zula from Defiance? And where Tim took the novel, uh, took the character, did it, did it work for you? Was it interesting? Zula was one of the things that I really loved from Defiance, but I never really got the feeling the book furthered her at all. Uh, you didn't learn anything you hadn't really already got from Defiance. And by the end of the story, she hadn't really progressed at all. She was still, I'm going to go out there. And it, it felt like the, the story was very much like her position in it. It was a pit stop between her going out there and dealing with this alien threat on a wider scale. I didn't feel like it really advanced her much. Rest up. The first we kind of find out about her in this book is a nightmare sequence, which, I mean, those are pretty common in alien novels and this is one of the few points where amanda also shows up in the book as well as in this nightmare sequence so you kind of learn about even though she's in a leadership position now she has these self <coughs> corona corona ah <laughs> yeah if you cough the way people fucking look at you now man <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can um, we get it through video chat i, th- I think I we're hope. okay unless it's gone digital <laughs> i think we're fine <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, where, where was I? Okay, so in the nightmare sequence, you, we essentially find out about these self-doubts that she's having. And this is kind of a continuous theme in the book. And by the end of the book, she does learn to trust herself and her leadership a bit more. So that is a, a good development she has. It also kind of goes into, she was... She had a back injury that she was dealing with a lot through defiance, and that was mostly healed with surgery at, at the end of that. But she still does have some things to, to deal with even after she's mostly recovered in this, and it goes into that as well. But I thought it was true to her character in Defiance. And but I think I think you're right, Lee. I, I think beyond just her self-doubt and her continual recovery, there wasn't too much character development, especially compared to some of the other characters like the administrator and the corporate spy Tamar, like it felt like they had more development, but they were ultimately less consequential characters in this book. And the overall grand scheme of the Alien series at the minute. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. I mean, I had picked up on this book seemingly being about developing Zula into a more leadership role. You know, when it came to when it came to Defiance, you know, it was her and Davis and Hollis showed up halfway through. You know, it was a small little team of them and they were all very keen to do what they were doing. You know, there, there was no, nobody had to be corralled into position. Nobody had to be disciplined. They were there to do what they needed to do. And the point of, the point of prototype seemed to be to develop Zula into a leader. She still had the motivations to go out and do this little crusade. She was willing to do it on her own and she just needed the money. That was the point of her job. But for me, one of the most satisfying parts of the book of prototypes, you know, characters, you know, we've already been critical of the of the secondary characters of her protection force, but the satisfying stuff was her essentially putting down this I don't want to say mutiny, you know, it was only supposed to be a joke, but it was a severe lack of respect of her age, of her position. And I found it satisfying them turning that around, you know, from her nearly dying because of their their attempts to show her up to them genuinely following her, even if most of them were cookie cutter. And it only barely being Ronnie that stood out to me, primarily because he was the the main instigator of, of, you know, trying to essentially kill her in the end, even if it was by accident. And seeing her actually get to the point where she could lead people and she felt comfortable leading people and knowing that even if people had to die, as long as she wasn't wasting lives, you know, that she was at the point where she could lead a more larger scale crusade against the alien in the comics. You know, it wasn't so relevant in resistance and it was wasted in rescue but that's the place we find her in rescue you know her and amanda uh, occupy this high leadership role over a much larger effort against the aliens in in rescue so for me that that seemed to be the point of her in this novel is getting her from leading a little small three-man team to several squads and a ship and seemingly being you know in in, in a position of authority within the colonial marines at the point of, of rescue even if rescue took balls it was an interesting dynamic of her leading a i guess private company security force coming from a military background and the book does kind of go into that dynamic a bit where she's kind of like well i could be harder on them but they're not military mm -hmm. so i have to kind of make sure these relationships don't get too fractured to kind of keep the leadership there but also keep the camaraderie there like even even the other cadets will tease each other sometimes and she talks about kind of keeping that in check and managing that like oh a little bit is good but too much and they'll hate each other and, and won't be as effective 
So I did enjoy that, like her taking on this new role of training this group for combat, but outside of a military con context. It was kind of interesting to me because I'm like, well, where are the colonial marshals and all this? So I'm, I guess just not every colony uses those or nobody wants to it was play just with omitted. Them. But none of the expanded yeah. law seems to want to play with the colonial marshals, which is a huge shame because they would have been so perfect for River of Pain. You know, it shouldn't have been those that, you know, mysterious, hidden, previously unmentioned squad of of colonial marines based out of hadley's hope it should have been a, a colonial marine a colonial marshal's office and a bunch of these you know ragtag colonial frontiermen policemen rocking around with revolvers and shotguns you know not m41as i i really want to see the colonial marshals used in the expanded law you know it was a fantastic part of isolation and, and it should be used in place of you know this desire to always introduce the military element to the stories you know you still get your shooty shooty but it, it you can play with this different element of world building you know, that's kind of why i've been in the mood to watch outland you know is is that yeah, you get my that's fix basically of... what sean connery is yeah exactly so that's i want my fix of, of colonial marshals but yeah, that's that's a fair point, actually, Adam. I hadn't really considered that because it was a private military thing and they weren't necessarily colonial marines. As much as I've just whinged about it there, I didn't miss it because I didn't think of them as colonial marines because the book deliberately points out that these guys aren't. Yeah, I guess you have to wonder, like, what are the colonial marshals or even the, the USCM's jurisdiction when it comes to... Because if multiple mega corporations have colonized the, the galaxy, you wouldn't think all of them would be uh, United States based companies. You know, a lot of these would be multinational corporations. And what jurisdiction would they fall under? So maybe they just the companies contract as they please and like seeks and contracts the colonial marshals rather than hiring their own private security force and venture prefers to hire their own private security force. So I don't know how it would all work. And that develop their own private security force more more accurately. Yeah. I, think. I tend to think of a lot of this as granted my knowledge of, of the time isn't really accurate. I don't know how much they teach you in your history in school for this Ridge Stop, but I keep meaning to read into it. But you know, like things with the gold rush in your in your West, um, when they had things like these company towns show up. Right. And and you know, you had is it, is it Skrit? What they called it was the the company money that you could only spend in the company run shops in that town yeah the company stores yeah i can't remember what it's called but i know like prospector town yeah and stuff yeah I so know what you're I, I think an, an interesting way to look at this might be to see how they handled their own sort of policing back then mm -hmm. i mean i probably should have looked at this well beforehand but i've only just really thought of it in relevance to this right now but yeah that's totally gonna be something i'll look up is is how they handled law enforcement then other characters then were there any standouts for you I did like Bridget, like you said, Aaron, the female android character who was a lab assistant, but she was formerly pleasure model, which is very akin to, I guess, the Blade Runner universe, another kind of uh, nod there for me anyway, because that's the first time I had heard of androids being used for prostitution in the alien universe. I think Stronghold kind of hinted at it. It's been a little while since oh, I've yeah. heard that one, but I think you, yeah, I think you might be right. But it's not a commonly brought up thing, and that, that's always an interesting thing in the Alien universe is android rights and stuff, and you see the progression of that even like through Alien Resurrection. It's it's a very interesting topic. And you know, at the end of the day, that once we develop better synthetics, that one of the first things that's going to come out is going to be fucking sex droids. Oh, they're they you can buy those already. Yeah, they, they don't they don't count because they're not <laughs> droids. They're just more advanced <laughs> sex dolls, aren't they? <laughs> but um 
so that it doesn't go into it too much, but it's interesting how she's now in a scientific assistant role and some of her internal dialogue that the book goes into where she's having uh, moral questions about the experiment she's participating in, essentially against her own will and the devious scientists that she's working under and he's often having his own internal dialogue on like is she questioning my authority like he's very suspicious of her but he also sees her as an android he sees her as a thing not as a person so that was kind of an interesting dynamic for me and i liked i liked her character i thought the whole when it goes into like the cyberspace battle of her and (laughs) this against the ai i was kind of like uh i don't know about that like but (laughs) But I did like her character. I just didn't like her character's end in that fashion. What about you, Lee? Pretty much just echoing what, what Adam's just said. Yeah, I, uh, other than Bridget, I'm sort of struggling to remember any standout supporting characters. I mean, I said you got... I liked, I did like Tamar, but Tamar, in a way, was the same as the CEO for me in that they were sort of... When they were first introduced, they were built up as being really interesting, but, but then they kind of wound up not really being playing much of a role in the book after they were introduced like tomorrow's opening scene aboard it's, the, the it's ship the pirates are reading was was excellent i loved that yeah but then although she was there and she was doing stuff she never really felt that influential in the rest of the book it was like he had her and had to use her but didn't really know what to do with her mm. but, but she probably had a bigger presence than um fuentes did in, in at least yeah. in terms of page yeah. word count and whatever but yeah damn her that opening chapter you know when she puts those bullets to the captain i was like oh shit <laughs> I did yeah. not see that one coming. I got shades of resurrection out of that as well with the the pirate, pirate crew. Like, yeah, it reminded def- me of LG definitely and the whole. Yeah, it reminded me of the the Betty as well, and the whole space piracy topic, which I guess we did kind of first see in Alien Resurrection. Uh, I do think there's more potential there to explore. That's been in some other novels too that maybe I have not read yet. But I don't know about the novels, but yeah, um, wasn't it Criminal Enterprise? Cauldron. Cauldron has a, a pirate. Is it a pirate squ- I mean, they don't. Yeah, they don't last very long, but they show. And they're the way they're described is very resurrection in that book. Who was the pirate crew? That's who, because uh, they're smuggling the aliens, aren't they? That's who's going to pick them up, and they show up. To, I mean, they all get wiped out pretty much as soon as they arrive, but they're in it. And the way they're described, you can tell the guy is riffing on resurrection. Right. <laughs> it's actually a woman who wrote that. Of course it was, yeah, Diane Carey. I mean, the comics have done a fair bit with that because the comics have done a lot of lot of alien shorts. You know, that's something I'm going to mention now, actually. The the next book, uh, Phalanx, he's done a good few interviews with ourselves and Alien Theory on YouTube and the Perfect Organism podcast. They did an interview with him and he talked about, in that one specifically, some of the difficulties he'd faced while trying to develop pitches for... Um, for uh, you know his book and, and what it would become and he said that you know he thought of all these brilliant ideas and this is just a tangent this isn't an aside but it's related and um you know he said he'd found that oh dark horse has already done that so recently um somebody on the forums pointed out that that phalanx was act as unique as phalanx is in the grand scheme of things and actually was kind of similar to a comic called alchemy and there's a very similar sort of background in in how they're both set up. Now, I hadn't read Alchemy for a long time, so I was rereading the the omnibus volume that it was in. And once I'd finished Alchemy, I moved on to the next one, which was Kidnapped. Now, Kidnapped is actually, again, saying Dark Horse has already done this. Kidnapped did 
what the thing with the necromorph in this one was, where it was an alien that had contracted a contagion somehow, a different setup, but it contracted a contagion and was spreading it around a colony, infecting all the humans, and they all started dying and melting away before the colony ends up with a bomb. <laughs> Killing everybody, you know, for containment issues. So Dark Horse really have done everything. But the books can expand on it, you know, take those little aspects and expand on it. But yeah, so just a little similarity between um, the alien, the necromorph, and one of the random Dark Horse shorts. Yeah, I gotta burn through all my old omnibus books again. It's been too long. Mm, same. So I've just burnt through all the five. Yeah, there's some great stuff in there. It's some terrible stuff, you know. Um, oh, what was <laughs> Some terrible the, stuff. What was the one at the end? Um, booty, I think it was. With the kid. There's some silly ones. The kid yeah. who's obsessed with his aunt. I think it was his aunt. It's fucking ridiculous. Anyway, yeah. So Bridget, I agree with you, Adam, on Bridget. I really liked her. An interesting element of her, I thought, was the fact that alien, well, not just alien, sci-fi in general, you know, it tends to point out that, that synthetics have no have no emotions, you know, they, they are robots. But Prototype was interesting in that it used, the, it used her past as a sex, uh, I keep wanting to say sex slave, you know, a prostitute robot, and how she was specifically programmed for things like empathy. Well, she was essentially a sex slave because yeah. whatever company owned her. But yeah, no, it, it did talk about that. And that was interesting how empathy was essentially just part of her programming and then how that built into her moral questioning with what they were doing and stuff like that but i think that's always been a question in the alien universe even recently with with covenant when you have the back and forth between walter and david and he's like you know that's not possible and david's like i know better in terms of feeling emotions so that's always been a question in the alien universe is, is are the androids um truly human and how they experience life and how they feel emotion in terms of their perception and that's always an interesting question i think it's meant to just be an interesting unanswered question mm. but it, it's it's i like that they make you think about it anyway mm. yeah and it, it was also interesting in that you know the aliens the the synthetics in the alien universe you know they they're still governed by asimov's three laws but you had this um you had uh, bridget in this you know who was forced into participating in these experiments that that were harmful and uh, how she was questioning sort of that through uh, through the empathy and things like that as well although i don't think that i don't think the asimov stuff really came up in this one yeah i don't remember that so um maybe that's just me reading a little extra oh you got the new shirt you're wearing the new shirt oh yeah i can see it so <laughs> there's our shirts everybody t public yeah stand stand up so we can see it yeah the print <laughs> came out pretty nice yeah and then on the uh I don't know if you can see it on the back. Got the retro yeah. logo retro on the back. Right, yeah. yeah. So for those listening, I'm, I'm modeling. For those <laughs> on YouTube, head on over to our T Public page and buy these shirts. The designs cost us a lot of money. Yeah. Now this is just one of two. Uh, we the one I'm wearing is an alien head with predator blades shoved through it. The other one is a predator head with an alien tail stabbed through it. But yeah, T Public guys. So the main alien in this uh, is referred to as a necromorph and me being a fan of the Dead Space franchise, I was like, come on, guys, you can't do that. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know me, Aaron, as much as I like Resident Evil, I've brought this up so many times before. I don't like it when the alien franchise becomes Resident Evil and when the alien turns into a viral contagion thing. So, yes, it's always interesting when they explore the DNA reflex, just like they kind of did in Dust to Dust, right? With the whole, does it recognize him as his mother kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. 
in the comic. And now it's like, oh, do they inherit diseases? And what are the ramifications of inheriting those diseases? And in this one, the alien incorporates the the disease into its own DNA and essentially uses it as a weapon. So not only does it have the xenomorph's desire to kill and procreate, but it also has the contagion's desire to spread itself as much as it can. So while that was interesting, I just think the xenomorph is deadly enough to once it starts spewing black gas everywhere at the same time, I'm just like, okay, this is a bit much personally, but I don't know if you guys felt that at all too. Yeah, I I, kind of get what you're saying. Honestly, I liked the idea, but I felt it was something else that the novel didn't really go anywhere with. I mean, the disease it was carrying was so instantly fatal like the second you get near this thing yeah. you drop you drop it a bit yeah yeah because of that it kind of wound up being a non-issue because the alien would have killed you anyway but if like if someone had lived long enough to get away and the disease had had sort of more of an impact on the wider colony i know it gets spread to like a whole area but as soon as you breathe this in you basically drop dead straight yeah. away even so people who were no, vaccinated against it they yeah, died it, instantly it, it has no chance to procreate and become an issue it just like it it kills you just as quickly as if the alien dropped out of a vent and you know put its jaw through your head uh so i felt like maybe they could have done something a bit more interesting with it that was probably the one thing out of everything in the novel that i sort of wound up being the most disappointed by i just i felt like they could have done more with it than they did given the book's name of prototype i was expecting something more a lot along the lines of like the alternate alien 3 where they were experimenting to create a new type of alien i didn't expect it to just be like a viral abnormality because the name prototype implies that you know, the company yeah so yeah unlike you guys i did really like this this aspect of the book you know i i love it when they do things with the dna reflex and i love that this was not necessarily a good thing for the alien to inherit <laughs> because on my first uh, read through i thought it was a bit more prominent than it actually was but there's there's a small aspect of of prototype when it brings up the conflicting nature of both these things you know the book gives some internal i don't know not monologuing or anything or pers- unnecessarily um, perspective stuff in you know it's not like um, dangerous prey in bug hunt or or the sequences in the resurrection novel but you do get some sort of internalization stuff of the alien and to start with it sort of considers it a weapon in its arsenal but there's one point in it when it talks about the conflicting desires you know the alien does want to kidnap and spread and create more of itself but it's aware of the fact that the disease this extra thing that it carries kills people but it's also got this desire from the from the disease say desire of the disease like it's this ascension thing but you know this this programmed genetic nature of the disease to want to to spread so i kind of like that duality in that it wanting to spread itself was going to harm the hosts that it wanted to um you know the other half of the the necromorph wanted to kidnap and, and use to future itself as well also necromorph i totally agree with you i thought you know this is too closely associated with the dead space franchise (laughs) and it's going to get picked up on um so completely agree there i would have liked a different name i also hated that they used overmorph in there that's just a thing now (laughs) i I hate it so much so much (laughs) isn't isn't protomorph a thing now too Hasn't that appeared in, like, a novel? No, or? only a phantom thing. Uh, the RPG okay. refers to it as a Praetomorph, Praetomorph, mm. um, just just slightly off-key enough. Because <laughs> the author of that one knew how much 
some of us who were helping him out hated Protomorph as a name. <laughs> That's funny. So I couldn't help but imagine the the boiler xenomorph. Yes, from I had yes. the exact same thought. Colonial as well. Marines. Yeah. That was pretty much exactly what I had in my head when I was reading it. <laughs> less less shambly, but yeah. yeah. A faster boiler. But they got yeah. pretty fast when you startled them. Uh, but I, I do agree with you in that more could have been done with it or perhaps something different could have been done with it. But I, I did really enjoy what we got and I, I enjoyed the irony of them both conflicting with, with each other's desires. And even though there was... Um, by the way, I'm going to go back to the egg morphing thing real quick because I found it. So it's the beginning of chapter 21. It says, The driving urge to spread the virus was, for the time being, satisfied. It had spread. The necromorph could now focus on replicating, thus fulfilling another vital aspect of its nature. The creature began moving again, traveling swiftly through the tunnel system. It would return to the quiet place where it had claimed its first due prey. There it would find a host and take the human to a secluded area. It would seal the human in resin, leaving the mouth exposed, of course. Then it would produce an over overmorph. Okay, I, I think I see the confusion here. So I figured when it said it would leave the human in resin, leaving the mouth exposed... That means that would be the host, not I, the egg morph. I think, I think that's host. right, yeah. Okay. Soon after that, the necromorph would become a part of a pack. One, a small one, yes, but two would become four, then eight, then 16, and on and on. The process would go much faster if they could produce many eggs in a short time. Many, many eggs. With any luck, one of the hatchlings would be a queen, and then there would be more eggs and more necromorphs. So it doesn't specifically say egg morphing. It doesn't say it's well, turning. No, it, it won't say the term egg morph anyway. But um, it, there's a there's a point where it talks about going back. Yeah, because it was on about going back to the storeroom there. And does he? I'm sure he does actually go back and and go and grab someone for it. And then the book ends with them finding an egg in the exact same place. Mm. I'm telling you, man, it was deliberately egg morphing. Okay. Tim told us. <laughs> Well, I'm sure if he said it, it just did. I I did not catch that that it was implied. So for I, me, I, I was yeah, I was I, thinking I got, about that. I got the impression that it was egg morphing, but for some reason, either Fox said that he wasn't explicitly allowed it to say it was, so he kind yeah. of worked, went around it. Let me, let me bring up the interview. Let me see what he said. Didn't didn't Tristan Jones do that in Defiance as well? He kind of hinted at egg morphing, but wasn't explicit about it. Well, his his situation was a little different. He wanted big chap to be an egg morpher because they were doing it when covenant was coming out and covenant was using a smooth headed sort of tribute back to big chap that he couldn't do it yeah i think he, he still had it but they had to change the design yeah to the like a praetorian type of thing yeah you know me man i'm team uh, queen molting i, I like avpr okay. so right so um <laughs> i said to tim not only did you go all out with the pheromones in the necromorph you also went for egg morphing that was a huge surprise as it's just not an aspect of the alien series that gets revisited often why egg morphing and Tim said, I wanted to absorb as much information about the alien verse as I could when I was early in in early stages of plotting my novel. I read lots of articles in the internet on the internet and egg morphing was one of the concepts I came across that made a lot of sense to me. If xenomorphs are the deadliest species the galaxy has ever seen, if their primary drive is to rapidly exterminate all life other than their own kind, they would need to reproduce quickly. If they could only reproduce via the queen, then individual xenomorphs aren't that great a threat. Sure, they'll kill a lot of people before they stopped, but after that, the threat is over. But if they can all produce overmorphs, uh, even if only in a limited way, there's a chance a queen will be born from one of their eggs and then a colony can be established. Egg morphing seems only logical for a species as devastatingly deadly as xenomorphs. So very specifically egg morphing. Mm. 
Talk about the eggs though, because that they did. Uh, Tim did something, some interesting stuff with the eggs in this one. Oh right, the egg could sense if the because initially they take a lab rat and put it next to the egg, and the egg could sense that the prey was too small to be infected. But it and the egg petals yeah. closed. Yeah. So that that was kind of an interesting concept because I had kind of thought about that as a fan before. Like, oh, what happens if you have a prey that's incompatible with a facehugger? And I guess the egg, egg can just sense that in his interpretation, uh, which I thought was was pretty cool. I, I could dig that for sure. Lee, did that work for you? Yeah. Um, it's it's not the first time. I've In one of the old biology bits in aliens magazine i think sort of suggested that maybe the outside of the egg is like covered in sensory organs and that's why it will only open for a a host that is compatible so i like that it kind of tied sort of unintentionally tied into that and it makes sense because you wouldn't want to open for the first squirrel that comes past because you're just going to waste the egg because you're not going to be able to impregnate it so yeah and i like i like the idea of it opening and then sort of having second thoughts and closing back up again like that was i thought that was quite a neat little touch Hmm. Although it does go against AVP two, you got to knock the egg over and go on your facehugger adventures. Yeah, <laughs> I I really liked that too. I thought that was a nice little interesting element. Though I didn't like how he had it close up after it had done its job. I thought that was a bit contradictory. I gotta say, the whole alien escaping thing was like that was a bit. It, it like, just it goes to the vent and, the and immediately yeah. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, you knew what you were dealing with here. Like, you had some idea, but that was a little a little funny. That's that's always a weird thing of how to deal with that, right? Because in a lot of these stories, the alien is contained and it escapes. And you have to have it escape in a way that's plausible. And where you can say what you like about resurrection. The way they get out in that yeah. made sense yeah. and was, like, cool. You know, yeah. whereas in this, it literally just smashes a hole in the wall and runs away. It's like, did you not see this coming? But to be fair, they weren't sure what they were actually in store for them, which I thought was... Yeah, they had heard a lot of rumours, though. Yeah, but all, all it does is, does it not just bust through a vent cover? Yeah, it goes through a little vent cover, like, It's yeah. not even like an armoured thing that it melts its way through. Yeah. It just... It reminded me of the bit in Covenant with the Neomorph that just the the quarantine glass, it just burst through immediately, mm. that little thing. I'm like, come on, I can forgive it. I mean, it's just a little bit. The pheromones was an interesting little touch as well. Speaking of the egg yeah, stuff. Yeah, especially with the, um, the test subject that they had implanted. And I had never seen this before either, where they were talking about how he felt great. And compelled and euphoric. Yeah. So they had theorized the researchers that maybe that was a way of dissuading the the host from seeking help if they felt so good, which we hadn't seen before. Like in a lot of stuff, the host feels pretty shitty after they've been implanted. So that was an interesting kind of twist, I guess. I was thinking more in terms of the egg drawing them, the host to the egg, how he was compelled to go and investigate. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that would make Covenant make a little more sense. When <laughs> the egg smelled really good. But um, going back to the, the host feeling better, am I right in saying Music of the Spears, the book, the novel at least? I have a feeling that might have touched on that when they impregnate that guy to get their, their alien to make music with. Yeah, I have a feeling the novel vaguely touched on Maybe not going into quite so much depth about dissuading them from seeking help, but I vaguely think it did mention something about like endorphins in his system and adrenaline in his system, sort of you know pumping him up and making him feel better than he should, given what's going on. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't remember, but that's that is actually one I want to read because that is one of my top four. But it's been a little while since I've since I've read that one. 
So I'll find out. I'll find out and I'll post up in the forum, guys. <laughs> One aspect of this that I also really liked was the idea of Venture being there producing stuff for colonization. Yeah, I'm not sure how well the timeline sort of marry up in terms of mm. how early on in, in colonization efforts this is. I suppose because this would have... Was this after isolation? Yeah, that really bugged me because I don't think any of the other alien books have ever done it, but this had the little preface that tells you when it is supposed to be set. And it was between isolation and resistance. And in isolation, the whole reason Sevastopol's not before the alien shows up, the whole reason Sevastopol is being decommissioned and has gone to shit is because people don't want space stations anymore. They want colonies. And it's it paints a picture that colonization has really taken off and is like the, the sort of the in thing for branching out into space. Whereas this novel makes it sound like they're still prototyping colonization. You know, they've got a colony test bed on Jericho 3. And it, it didn't really seem to gel up for me. Like the book implies they're sort of just getting started, whereas isolation makes it seem like they've already cracked it and they're, you know, it's taking off. It could have just been Ventures terraforming stuff though, because if I remember rightly, it does talk about it as being a cheaper alternative to Wayland's sort of technology. I think Venture were pioneering sort of living in a hostile atmosphere whereas Wayland are actually terraforming planets but I still got the impression like I think all the way through the book would repeatedly mention that we're still working at colonization like it's not really got going yet which was to me it was at odds with what isolation sort of the picture that painted yeah I mean it did kind of specify that this was a smaller colony on a particularly um I guess uh, hostile planet in terms of just the weather they had to deal with but yeah that was kind of a discrepancy there but I th I thought the idea of them I mean even if it's not quite right in the timeline of the deep law the idea of them being there experimenting with with the technology was 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 interesting mm -hmm. you know even like details of things like i assume he read up on some of the the maybe the mars plans and stuff like that but like the domed colony yeah. complex to better distribute the the high winds of the um of jericho you know i like that kind of detailing and i always like to see competitors to wayland anyway you know it was one of the things i really liked about isolation i mean isolation did a much better job of it anyway because of the the really good history logs you know the um the history of Seagan Son kind of logs mm. that they did you know but I do enjoy seeing you know these other competitors come up uh, offer what Wayland is doing like cheaper things and you know sort of exploring the the consequences of that you know I mean it wasn't necessarily a, a huge part of this in in terms of you know their technology being inferior or whatever but in terms of it driving them to try so hard to get what Wayland was after and stuff like that there was an interesting mention too I think Tamar said it where she was like any company that Wayland considered big enough to be a threat they would usually just buy out <laughs> is that so. a Disney um, comparison <laughs> I had the thought maybe no, you know, a scene I really did like was the first training bit with Zula and her cadets where she essentially leads them through uh, this junkyard and they get attacked by these training droids, which are like these spidery like. Well, they're different, aren't they? They're, they're, they're based on multiple different alien type creatures or xenomorphs as i prefer. indigenous life so it does go into the bug hunt history a bit with that a little bit but kind of a, a weird reference here do you guys remember the tomb raider movie with angelina jolie i watched it once i, I remember it. the bit at the beginning that you're yeah I think you're where she she fights like the big training robot, robot. yeah it just kind makes of, no sense it makes no sense but it totally reminded me of of that scene but also one of them had a 
camouflage and it literally says Ben Ben's light. So I was like, uh, yeah. I guess humans at this point in time have like predator like cloaking technology now. When it first mentioned that, I really thought it was going to be a subtle reference to the Predator and it was going to be like a droid based on a Predator. But then later on, it describes it and it looks completely different. But because it's not it's not really described what it looks like other than the fact it's invisible. And I really thought it was going to be a cheeky little nod to like they were going to have like synth Predators fighting against them. But it didn't turn a little silly. Yeah. But I just thought it was interesting that it could cloak because we, we hadn't really yeah. seen humans using that technology except for when it's been stolen by the Predators. Yeah, it's only, only pretty much been in the crossover stuff. Well, no, actually, it's been in the Predator stuff. You know, Concrete Jungle, I think, had yeah. that in um, 2010. I think some of the combat androids could cloak. Not Extinction. Three World War? No, we were talking... Adam, me and you were talking about the comic not long back. Eternal. Eternal. Oh, yeah. Some of it in as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. But I, I, I quite like the idea of the bug hunt stuff. Kind of feels like a little cop-out-ish with them being robots. But I mean, I totally get the reasoning in the book, you know. Yeah, and they explain it too. They're like, to ship all these animals here and it would be too dangerous, so. And kind of cruel, really, if you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, they also go into that in the, the following comic as well, right? With Yeah, uh, Rescue. With rescue, the yeah. Martian bugs. Fucking the yeah. fuck that comic. So <laughs> the Martian bugs. And they're not even <laughs> fucking bugs. Anyway, yes, but that, that was a cool little piece of lore stuff in there was them acknowledging you know that the bug hunts was extermination of existing life that was a bit of a new i wonder if they got that from the gibson comic because the i can't remember if it got mentioned in the comic but the script has a bit where hicks literally says that's what bug hunts are they go in and exterminate redundant species and i'm wondering because the comic would have been going on around the same time this book was written am i right in saying that then again we'd already had bug hunt the anthology where they were out nomming not nomming um pewing other aliens but then again it wasn't necessarily extermination details was it yeah Yeah. i don't think it ever specifically said it was clearing planets for colonization whereas this novel basically said exactly that at the time i wondered if maybe it was a little maybe something that they took leaned from the the gibson script yeah because that was back on fox's radar so that might have been something that came down from the story group yeah that's a fair point I mean, the book kind of goes full circle, though, because the climax of the book also takes place in the same junkyard where they had that training mission. Mm. Yeah. Before we go on to the end, then, is there any other specifics, elements of, of prototype that anybody wants to mention? Um, not, not particularly. I said the, the end might have been my favorite bit of the book, actually. It was sort of the one the one part of it that I was really like, this is something i've never i've never like i I remember just being finding it incredibly exciting the actual sort of final showdown with the alien yeah completely agree i mean because it went back to the start you know it used things like those training robots as um as ways to distract or or try to overpower the alien you know the thing one of them uses the webbing stuff doesn't it you know to try and tie it down which is kind of funny when you think about it because of the whole resin thing of the alien webbing things up anyway so i like that as like a nice little smart thing to show zula's smarts you know her tactical senses and then when that fails you know take it one step even further and we go for the big big grand finale of the alien in the ship yeah that was the bit that i was really i loved that bit where she's fighting it in the out of control shuttle and she's sort of desperately hanging on to bits of netting and and getting battered around and the aliens just like crawling around in there like quite happy with it was just it, it felt like a really original action scene that i had not seen either in the books or even in the films it kind of like, reminded just... me of covenant a bit with the the, the red land. trailer 
Yeah, but a smaller shuttle, I would imagine. The bit with her hanging underneath on the rope was definitely very Covenant. Yeah. Like when she lures it by hanging underneath the shuttle on a bit of rope and they sort of swing her around like a bit of cheese. Yeah, definitely. I, I really like the visuals in my head of, you know, the like you, you know, the ship going up and the alien and Zula struggling. I think I would have liked a bit more description of or a bit more of the alien's mobility within there because I think I think Tim had them both finding it a little difficult. I would have liked it a bit more Did if... They? Yeah, I, I I think so anyway. If not... You might be right. You know, so I, I just would have... I always want to see more grace from the aliens in these things. I think that might, that mostly comes from alien and, and, you know, isolation. But I would have liked to have seen a bit more grace from the alien in there while she's struggling and still o- overcomes it. But ultimately, you know, it did still end with a, an explosion as an alien uh, story does. Did you guys like how there was really just one creature through this whole thing? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. As opposed to like uh, an outbreak, I guess. Well, that 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 was another good thing as well because the book deliberately makes this necromorph a tough bastard. You know, they're there peppering it with you know the whole squad's there just nailing it with um with their weapons and it this shit's just bouncing off the armor. I suppose it does use the pustules as an extra layer kind of thing, you know, a bit of ballistic gel padding <laughs> for the alien. But, you know, I always appreciate it when they're not just being popped left, right and centre by a pistol shot to the, um, you know, the cranium. So, yes, very much enjoyed that it was just one alien and very much enjoyed that Tim made it a beast. They did have kind of a cliffhanger at the end, though, or a yeah. final scare, I guess, because the venture closes down the facility but then there's like an assessment team that comes in and finds the the one egg. Yeah, well, you've got to always have a bit of sequel bait. Yep. I mean, have, have any of them had a definitive ending? I mean, Out of the Shadows, you know, had Hoop knocking around, and it also All had... three of those had, yeah. like, the same ending. It was yeah. a small group of survivors sort of going off to an uncertain... Yeah. Echo had them floating away in the escape ship. True. Cold Forge had a going to work for Seekson. Yeah, Rage Wars had the um, the galaxy being reset. Basically, Phalanx probably doesn't end on a sequel bait. Actually, thinking about it, I haven't read the end of that yet. So okay. Oh shit! Sorry. No spoilers. Me neither. (laughs) Getting there. Nearly there. That's that's kind of not unexpected. I think in terms of um, in terms of the end. I don't think this one will be revisited though. I don't. I don't think people will jump off this one. I don't know why, but it just seems like, you know, it's like you, I think you said earlier, Lee, you know, this was like a bit of a pit stop. Yeah, I think that's why they won't move back to it. Actually, we forgot to talk about Tamar earlier in terms of her ending, because that was so fucking <coughs> stupid and annoying. Yeah, it was a little bit. As much as she was not so, you know, she was inconsequential to the entire story, you know, she was there all the time. And, you know, the book presented her as being this really intelligent uh, woman, you know, very thoughtful, always thought through all her actions. You know, we have these bits of her manipulating some of the colony's uh, security for, um, you know, information and bits like that. And she's always cunning, always conniving, you know. Venture didn't pay her for those eggs. Egg, sorry. Um, So she was thinking of ways to double-cross them and potentially make sure she got more money. And she's like, I'll fucking sell it back to Wayland or somebody else. And her grand plan... I didn't think the grand (laughs) plan was necessarily stupid. You know, the idea of getting a, um, you know, a genetic sample or shooting out a the bit tooth. of the alien. Yeah. But the whole thing of fucking picking. So she she shoots out the, 
the alien's tooth. You know, she gets together with all Azula's colony people and she's not shooting to kill it. She's trying to knock a tooth out so she can get it. She pushes, well, pretends to sort of stumble and push one of the others in the way to cause a distraction so this woman gets nommed up instead of her. Runs and grabs the fucking tooth off the floor. It burns right into her hand. Melts into her hand. It's like, and then she's like, oh, Shit, yeah, I forgot about that. I I, even though I'm fairly sure she'd been considering the acid when she was planning to do the stuff, and she was like, "Oh yeah, if I get the tooth, I probably won't get infected. I won't probably won't get um, burnt through with anything." Mm. And it's a case of, oh, there was a tiny little bit of flesh left on it, so that felt a little. Yeah, you. Then you'd think it she'd worse. have a vial or something if she was trying to collect a sample of alien tissue. Anyway, was she just going to put that in her pocket or like? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but then it then it got worse because then her plan was to run outside without a spacesuit on to get away. Yeah, like, and that that whole sequence felt really contrived. Mm. And it, like I said, it, it ties into I loved her character when she showed up, but then not as the story went on. And yeah, that that whole sequence felt a bit a bit daft. Definitely. It was a bad end to who had been a pretty interesting character at that point. But, you know, I don't don't think this book really stands out to me for any of the characters. Even necessarily Zula's pit stop in her development. You know, this book is always going to be that. It was that one with the alien with the infection. You know, that that is this book to me. Uh, anybody got any other points they want to bring up about this? Or are we all... Um... Are we all reviewed out for Alien Prototype? I mean, if you're a fan, I, I recommend it. It's it's a good read. Yeah, um, it's it's certainly not a bad book. Yeah. It's it's no engaging. Means. There's just much better alien novels out there. But it's worth a read. It's good. I enjoyed it. Yep, yeah, same. I enjoyed it. I do think I would like Tim back because like you said, Lee, you know, it felt like Bantam um and millennium stuff and i think there'll always be a place for that feeling for these things it was it was nice because i've 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 genuinely really other than maybe one i've really really enjoyed the books that titan have been putting out but they do have a very different feel Uh so it was really nice to have one with this kind of old school just unashamedly fun like throwback kind of feel to it that was a really nice refreshing change fun i think is really an important mention because now that was one of the things i felt with this was tim was having a fucking ball while writing it you know this was a guy who was having a fucking blast while he was working on this thing and that was something we'd not you um late me and you and chris had talked about with isolation novel where Mm. keith was you could only really feel Keith's interest and fun when he was writing the original stuff in, in that book. Whereas for this one, you know, Tim was having a fucking ball all throughout it. And I could feel that. And I, you know, was enjoying it as well. There was some good banter between the characters. Yeah, yeah. There were, there were some nice snippy moments in this one, um, for sure. I, I too would also recommend it. You know, I do. I think it was a solid seven. It had some issues, but it also had a lot, a lot going for it. You know, even if... To me, this is just, I say just, even if to me it is the book that is defined by what it did with the alien, not necessarily any of the characters. But yeah, if, if, you, if you like Alien, if you like them doing different things with the creature, I do I do recommend it. Very much worth a read. How about you, Lee? Yeah, I mean, other than isolation, this might be my least favourite of the Titan books, but I think that's more a comment on how much I've enjoyed the others rather than how much because i did enjoy this but it was it was sort of a fun time waster 
as opposed to a book that I will remember really, really fondly and will go back and read again. Like it was, it was entertaining, it was enjoyable, but it didn't blow me away. Not when you think you'll revisit very often. Probably not. No, I mean, I'm, I even even with Alien stuff, I don't really tend to reread books unless it's something particularly memorable. So I might I might pick it up eventually, but it won't be one that I rush to go back to. Okay. But you do you even reread the books, Rich Top? I do sometimes. Okay. <laughs> On occasion, this is one I would probably go back to. Like you guys said, I thought it was just it was fun. And that was the main thing that was going for it. I'm just super glad to have the attention to the franchise that both Titan and Dark Horse are giving right now. And even with their misfires or their lackluster book covers, I'm still (laughs) super grateful. At least at least they actually tried to make it relevant. You know, this one has the uh, this was this was the first one in a long time stuff. (laughs) <laughs> that wasn't the Colonial Marines alien, right? I think this is the yeah. first one in a good amount of time. And what do we have coming next? I'm looking at the previews inside it right now. So obviously we'll be talking Infiltrator. about... Infiltrator? Well, we'll be talking about Phalanx next. That's just come right. out last month as of recording. And fucking hell, guys. I cannot recommend that book enough. Seriously, go buy it and read it. But yeah, after that, it is... Infiltrator. The next up is Infiltrator, which is the prequel novel to Cold Iron's upcoming game, which we still don't know the title of. Then we have the next one by Alex White. Yes. Into Charybdis. Weird, weird title. (laughs) It's a, it's a Greek thing. I looked it, I looked it up. It's, It's uh, it's Greek mythology. Into yeah, it's either, either a sea monster or a whirlpool, depending whirlpool, on which stories yeah. you read. Yeah. yeah. So those so are this, that one's not due till 2021. So the remaining novels this year are going to be the uh, Infiltrator, which is October time. I'm not sure. And then the what about that Predator? Uh, yeah, game? that sh- that should be out that, soon. Yeah. There's a prequel novel to the Predator. That's out June time, I think. Hunting Grounds game, which I am excited for because that should bring back the whole OWLF stuff that Aaron and I like a lot. Uh-huh. So I'm looking forward to that. And of course, we've got some more um, of Dark Horse's new original screenplay comics, which I'm really looking forward to as well. You know, the original yes. Alien and the original Predator. Yes. Likewise, I will be getting the hard covers for both of those. Those look great. They are also on Predator Hunters 3 right now, which we cannot recommend that series enough in terms of current the comics. At least as well. Yeah. But if this one uh, goes as well as it, it as it has, I'm feeling pretty confident about that. But yeah, that's that's really good. Uh, Hunters in general. And we're still waiting for the final issue of Thicker Than Blood. Have we done three? I can't remember. But we're still waiting for the closing of AVP Thicker Than Blood. Yeah, which has been good so far. I haven't uh, read issue two and three yet, but... I've, I've enjoyed that one. I can't really think of anything else then. Just obligatory um, plugs and stuff then at this point. Lee, I'll let you go first to the guest. I know how shit you are at doing these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Xenopedia. It is... Uh avp.fandom.com or just search for avp wiki and it'll uh it should be the top result come by uh get involved be glad to have you it's always good when it's not just you doing the content yeah yeah it's it's getting really hard to keep up with just like a couple of people doing the bulk of the of the work so you know if you like reading books you like reading the comments uh, the comments the comics and just writing up about them go give them a hand especially the comics because as you said i'm not big on the comics so we could really do with some people who are big comic fans come and help out with that stuff cool so in terms of wrist top and eyes home base you know avp galaxy you can find the hub of everything on our website which is avpgalaxy.net we're pretty 
spot on with the news, you know, getting that all uh, out there pretty fast. And we also have a forum a message board old school style you know if you prefer your discussions in an organized fashion then that's the place to sign up we're on all the socials facebook twitter instagram is avp galaxy or alien versus predator galaxy versus as in vs dot uh, that's pretty much daily posts of cool pictures and stuff like that and bits and pieces we do upload our own sort of editorial original content whatever to both the website and also our youtube channel and We've also got Let's Plays and shit on um, on the YouTube channel as well. It's still slow, but, you know, we get, we're getting there. We should have more time now. <laughs> well, I'm, still, <laughs> I'm, I'm working from home. I'm not in quarantine, so I've still got responsibilities. That's true, but that cuts out your commute, commute time, at it least. It certainly does. Do you want to do Predator tomorrow? AVP 2. Oh, yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so if we do... A, a, about two hours tomorrow. There should be about four missions. I'm done. So obviously, yes, that's next on our list. A let's play of the Predator campaign of AVP2. But there's also existing stuff up there. You know, we've done the Alien campaign. We've done all of AVP 2010. We've done AVP Requiem on the PSP. I've done and black, a live... Blackout. Blackout. I've done a live playthrough of Isolation. And that's all still up there. We're also going to be streaming Predator Hunting Grounds as having a trial weekend next weekend. So we will be on playing that. And anyone who would like to join us, you know, we we have a Discord. I'm not sure. I think it's just PlayStation, so I'm not sure if Discord is compatible. But once we have the the PC crossplay uh, with that, our Discord might be a little more active. Uh, we've also got lore videos and little editorial videos on the YouTube uh, channel as well you know our biggest thing is a walkthrough slash interview of the alien 40th anniversary exhibit that rich top did last year that's really good uh, yeah i missed that they should have made that permanent <laughs> Uh, that that is a really good video recommend that one there's a piece that i'm quite proud of with the operation aliens sort of comic myth that's on there you know go go give that shit a watch if you like it subscribe and you know all that bollocks basically um and i've got a couple more in in the middle of being written a couple more law videos in the middle of being written which i'll then get up soon obviously if you're watching and you're listening you saw or heard the uh, t-shirt stuff earlier we've got our own two exclusive designs on there and versions of our logo so you know if you want to support the site and you want to kick ass fucking t-shirt to detect a nerdy stuff head on over to there that is uh, alien vs predator galaxy um t on t public if you want to follow me personally, I'm on Twitter at underscore Corporal Hicks. And that's uh, AVP, Star Trek, Stargate, Airsoft, Halo, generally nerdy bollocks. What about you, Ridgetop? If you'd like to follow me personally, I am on Twitter and Instagram as Ridgetop21. Okay. Uh, well, this has been Corporal Hicks. Ridgetop. And who the fuck am I? In the flesh. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Bye.